Hey everyone, I'm Megan Martin. Welcome to the Wrong Kind of Christian podcast. We have been doing a deep dive into the book of Hebrews, going along with an author that we don't know, but who has definitely had some things to say that we can work with even today. So we're finishing up this study today, and I'm I'm so sad to see it end because you know, even though we'll be moving on to a new study next week, I have just so enjoyed getting to go through this with all of you. If you remember back in our Hebrews chapter one study, I told you about how God kept kind of bringing me back to Hebrews time and time and time again, so much so that I just came to love this book. It's taught me so much, and I hope that you've taken some of that with you too. If you're like me and God is saying, hey, we're not done with Hebrews yet, well, I'm working on a devotional book to go along with the chapters that we have covered in these episodes. It'll be a daily guide, short five to 10 minute devotions that just kind of break up each chapter a little bit more, not so much in the exegetical way that we've been going through with our podcast episodes, but really taking our study and applying it personally. So the goal is to have that out by October. So if you can hang on to Hebrews just a little bit longer with me, we can really pull our study into our own lives. I'd encourage you, if you haven't yet, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. I'll definitely be talking more about that study as it gets closer to completion. You can also get a direct link to the study when it's out by going to wrongkindofchristian.com and signing up for my email list. I'll link that in the show notes as well. But um, if you go there and you sign up now, I'll send you an email when the devotional is done. And I try to send out emails weekly with direct links to any podcast episodes or blog posts that I've written any that week, but it's just really kind of a great way to stay connected. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get down to why we're really here. The final chapter of Hebrews. I feel like we should be singing like the final countdown or something. This chapter contains one of my most loved verses in the whole Bible, kind of so much so that I've considered getting a tattoo of it somehow, but I can't seem to kind of make it all come together in my mind. So not yet. The whole chapter is a continuation of the chapter beforehand. So that means that we're we're really in the middle of this author's conclusion, but it, it doesn't mean that he's going to like start taking it easy on us at all. So let's just dive in. Hebrews chapter 13, verses one through three. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. I think so many times we kind of just fly right past that first verse. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. It's actually the Greek word Philadelphia used here. And I know we all know what that means. Brotherly love. Notice that it's a command here, though. Love one another with brotherly love. Have you ever had a friend that is so close to you that you call them your brother or sister? And we're talking about like this all-encompassing, loyal kind of love. I bet like even right now, you're probably thinking of someone in your life that you love like that. And often we call them brother or sister, even though there's absolutely no relation at all. 
our kids sometimes end up calling them aunts and uncles and they grow up thinking of them as family. This is the kind of love the writer is talking about. So he's not telling them to love everyone in this way. He's telling them to love other Christians, those who are running this faith race with them, love them with the love of deep friendship. And we may sometimes joke about our close friends being like our partners in crime, but these should really be our partners in faith. Verse two is actually the verse that I was speaking of earlier, the one that I love so much. I memorized this verse a long time ago, and I can't seem to find the translation that it came from, the one that I memorized. So it must have come from either like an old version that has had some like wording updates, but it really seems to be most closely related to the New King James Version, which is ironic because I don't ever recall really kind of diving into New King James Version anything. But the verse that I that I hide in my heart is, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have entertained angels unaware. And this verse is really looking back at some of those faith giants that we read about just a couple of weeks ago. An angel came to Abraham, angels came to Lot, and and they didn't know. At first, they just thought they were being hospitable, which looks very different today than it did back then. So back then, these Hebrew Christians would have been expected to open up their homes to traveling Christians because the inns, like hotels, you know, were, they were thought to be overrun with immorality and they, and they really kind of were. So it wasn't necessarily safe for traveling Christians to find hotel accommodations along the way. Today, we still sometimes open our homes to traveling Christians, but not just every Christian who happens to be on the road like they did back then. We see this practice used when, like, for example, missionaries are coming to tell a local church about what they're doing. It's a great way to provide some encouragement to the person traveling and build like a familial bond with a brother or sister in Christ. Sometimes showing hospitality is maybe more like going to the homeless shelter and helping out. Have you ever done any kind of missionary outreach on your own? It doesn't have to be like cross-cultural or international. There's so much that we can do here and, and should do here, right here in our own communities. When you put yourself into that type of work, I don't know what it is, but I always leave feeling like the people that I'm supposed to be helping have given me more than I've ever given them. And this type of work really allows for Jesus to do some work in you. If you haven't had that type of experience, I would really encourage you to to put yourself in that situation. Get a team together, contact a local agency, just ask how you can help out. They're almost always welcome to help and and they usually have, you know, plenty of opportunity for you to serve. The last part of this first chunk of verses tells us to take care of prisoners. This is probably referring to those who are imprisoned for being Christians, but that doesn't mean that prison ministry in the general sense of what we think of it is wrong. The writer is just telling them to not forget those who are imprisoned for Christ. And since this isn't really something that we see so often here in the United States anyway, I'm not sure that we have a good understanding of what prison is like for those people, especially those back then. If you were imprisoned, you were just in prison. There was no like government system in place to help you provide for uh, food and water, clothing, blankets, anything like that. They just didn't give that to you. So if you were imprisoned, you were completely reliant on your family, your friends, other Christians to take care of you, to provide for you while you were there. To be clear, though, this still happens in some places around the world today. And I know I've already mentioned Voice of the Martyrs a couple of weeks ago. They are a ministry that still today works to provide for those imprisoned because there are Christians out there even like today who just need some of these provisions. You can help by going to persecution.com and checking out some of their ministry opportunities. And again, I'll link those in the show notes for you guys. 
we're still talking about love here, but we're moving on from that Philadelphia love to marital love. So verse four, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. I don't think it's any surprise that the Bible puts such emphasis on honoring marriage, considering how often we see that, um, you know, we're given this marriage analogy between the church and Jesus. It's a sacred bond. And and it's mentioned numerous times. Unfortunately, though, many of us today, we just we don't understand the sanctity of marriage and our world today doesn't honor marriage. Divorce for reasons like I don't love you anymore or I'm just not really feeling it now. That kind of runs rampant. And the idea of just living together seems okay to a lot of people. I tend to harp on this a bit, but <laughs> the whole idea of the this you do you mentality that we're all embracing today, it's just absolutely detrimental to our faith. It's very often in exact opposition to the holiness that Christ called us to. And as Christians, we have to be on guard against those ideas. Okay, guys, I'm about to get very real with you all here. Sex is a good thing. It is. And it's a blessing. Of course, there is a very practical reason for sex, but it's also pleasurable. And it's a way that God has allowed us to have a one of a kind bond with our spouses. The pleasure that comes from sex is so sought after that it it, it can absolutely ruin people. It can ruin relationships. And the writer here warns us to keep the marriage bed pure. And there's no question of what he's saying. Sex is for marriage. I was reading David Gusick's commentary on this chapter, and he made a really good point. He said, the enemy of our souls wants to do everything he can to encourage sex outside of the marriage bed. And he wants to do everything he can to discourage sex inside the marriage bed. Christians must recognize the strategy and not give it a foothold. Guys, it's pretty cut and dry throughout the Bible, but this is the area where mankind, we just can't seem to get it together. Sex is for marriage. Our next few verses kind of deal with another type of love, this time not not a good one. We're talking about a greedy love. Verses five and six, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? If the world wasn't corrupted by the love of sex, it would be by the love of money. As I was studying this, a few phrases that we all know kept running through my head, sex, money, and rock and roll, and money makes the world go round. Those phrases aren't world-renowned for nothing. Once again, we see worldly standards that are so strikingly opposite of what God tells us. It's a you do you and whatever it takes to get to the top world that we live in today. We really are in our own little Babylon. We're surrounded by the visual of wealth and status. Quote unquote, influencers truly do influence every aspect of our lives far beyond the confines of social media. Our world says, keep up with the Joneses. Now it's keep up with the Kardashians. But God says, be content. And I'll admit to you all, I struggle with this one. This isn't an easy one for me to just lay aside because my love language is with words and I'm constantly looking for affirmation from people. In a world of immediate gratification through social media, I'm easily affirmed, but I I have to often check myself. Whose affirmation am I looking for? If it's anyone but God's, well, I'm looking in the wrong place. 
Remember that we're in this conclusion part of Hebrews. So the writer kind of starts jumping around here, topic to topic, almost like he's trying to like make sure he gets everything in. So verse seven, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. It seems like we often forget that in order for there to be leaders, there must also be followers. While God may call some of you to godly leadership, he will also call some of you to godly followership. The writer says, remember your Christian leaders and imitate their faith. We have great examples of Christian leaders in the Bible, but I also hope that you'll find some wonderful Christian leaders in your life too. I've had a few mentors over the years, Christian women who have already gone through whatever phase of life I'm in at the time, who are good examples of faith. I encourage you to find your own mentors. On the other side of that coin, be a mentor. Just because you are a godly follower doesn't mean that you can't also be a godly leader for someone else. Verse eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Thank God for that, right? I find such comfort in this verse. Jesus always has been the same and always will be the same. No surprises. There will be nothing that is shocking within the character of Jesus Christ. You can count on him to be the same Jesus who created the world and the same Jesus whom we read about in the gospels. He's the same Jesus who died for you even today. Our next warning is against teachings that don't align with the gospel. Verses 9 through 14. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. There is always some church out there that is teaching something new, something different, something that just doesn't match up. Be on guard against those things. I hold strong to the verses that encourage Christians to measure what we're told and what we see against the word of God. If it doesn't add up, leave it alone. And remember that our hearts are strengthened by grace alone. Remember who the writer is talking to here. We're looking at Hebrew Christians who were tempted to return to the old covenant. And we've spent this entire book talking about why our covenant with Jesus is the best covenant. But this is just one more reminder. This Christian life is hard and you will be an outcast from the world. But we're looking beyond the current city, beyond our current situation. Stand firm. In light of the world's judgment on us as Christians, we live a life of continuous praise to the Lord. And it's not always easy, and it's not always, you know, our gut reactions. But at the end of the day, we're relying on Him to see us through. And we'll praise Him for the way that He chooses to bring us through those hard times. Verses 15 and 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others— for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. While the old system was set up for blood sacrifices presented on an altar, this new covenant met the blood sacrificial needs through the blood of Jesus. And we've talked about this before, but there is no need to continue to offer blood. That doesn't mean that we no longer sacrifice though. Our sacrifices today are with praise, our words, and, and with the way that we live our lives. 
when you spend that time singing worship songs to the Lord, you're in a moment of sacrifice. When you take care of someone else, when you offer up your time and resources for others because of what God has done for you, you're offering up a sacrifice and God is pleased with those. Why? Say it with me, guys, because it's a heart issue. The writer comes back around to our leaders again. And and you know what that tells me? It must be really important. Verse 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Remember that the leaders we're talking about here are your Christian leaders. It's not saying to follow blindly, but we are supposed to submit to their authority. There are so many verses that talk about how Christ essentially put those in leadership in their positions, and it's not an easy calling. They will be held to a higher standard than those of us that they're leading. We don't need to make it harder for them. And, you know, to be honest, I'm coming at this verse from both sides here. I'm a follower of my pastor and those who are in positions of leadership in my church community. I'm also amongst those leaders in some ways. So I feel like I can speak honestly and authentically about the frustration that can come when the followers don't respect the leadership position. You feel like you're pushing back against a wall, and at some points it can feel like that wall is bigger than you can possibly manage. Is what the leader's saying in line with what you know of God's teachings? Okay, then. You should probably follow along. If it's not... Well, then you have a leadership issue that needs to be addressed by your oversight group. This next section, gosh, if there were ever a time when I wanted to know who this writer really is, it would be now. Verses 18 and 19, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Interesting little piece here, but if you're a grammar geek like I am, this pray for us sentence, it's it's an imperative sentence. So it can be read as a command or maybe a highly encouraged suggestion. The Greek here really implies a continuous action. So often when we hear these words, pray for me, we offer up a quick prayer and that's it. The writer here is asking for, for continuous prayers in general, but also a very specific prayer that they may be able to be together in person again soon. There must be something going on here that would keep this writer from just going to the Hebrew Christians. And it seems to imply here that he is in some form of like guarding situation that would prohibit him from just going about his way. I find some comfort again in the complete faith that this writer has, not only that the Hebrew Christians would actually pray, but that those prayers would be heard and answered. They'd be addressed. And the writer seems to have no doubt that God is listening to his people and responding to their prayers. Pretty cool that the God of all creation is so in tune with his people. (laughs) Okay, I feel like we've been saying goodbye for a while here, but we're really kind of wrapping it up now. Verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's essentially like the writer, after requesting all this prayer for himself, turns around and offers up a prayer for the people that he's writing to. And after this prayer, he gives just a few final words in closing. Verses 22 through 25. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact, I have written to you quite briefly. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released, 
If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. Okay, so we got just a few more hints at who is writing the sermon. And some say that all those hints point to Paul. And, you know, it's pretty cohesive with his life and and his companionship, but we just don't know. We just don't know. I find the, the last sentence to be particularly interesting. Grace be with you all. Not peace, which is what we usually hear, right? Peace be with you. Grace be with you all. And it seems to me that this writer who has spent you know, what he calls a very brief time writing to those needing encouragement, he's giving us one more reminder that this covenant, this new covenant is founded upon the grace of God. Grace be with all of you too. Thank you so much for going on this deep dive into Hebrews with me. And I can't wait to see where God takes us next. I'll talk with you all next week. Bye.